Good morning and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. We're thankful that you're here today. It is a rainy day and we're glad that we have a nice facility to meet, to meet in and to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3 in just a moment. Before we do so, I would, I would want to just share with you a couple of announcements. One, Brother George asked me to mention the fact that we are in the process of looking for men to serve as deacons. And so I would encourage you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and to identify men that you think are qualified to serve in this capacity. And it may be the case that you would like to serve. And if so, we need you. We need your help. And we have a lot of good things that are going on here. And I know that the elders would like to have several men come forward and to help in some very specific works and so we would ask you to give consideration to this and to help well help out in this capacity also want to mention the fact that we have our singing today at 2 p.m. at the nursing home if you've never been I would invite you to come usually we have a pretty good turnout a large number of young folks that come and we always have great singing, and I know that the residents there, they appreciate it. And many of those residents are unable to get out, and so this is really a ray of sunshine in their lives. And so if you can come and be a part of that today, I know that they would appreciate it. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3 today. I want to talk for a minute or two about the theme that Jesus is the answer to sin. When we talk about sin, we understand that it is a reality. There are a lot of people in our world today, they dismiss the concept of sin. And yet, from a biblical perspective, biblically speaking, the Old and New Testaments address the problem of sin. And God's answer to sin is Jesus Christ. He is the one and only answer to a life of sin. And so when we look at 1 John chapter 3, we have a couple of things. First of all, we have a profile of sin. And then there is a profile of salvation. And there is really a contrast there. And what God has done is provide a remedy for a life of sin. And that remedy is Jesus Christ. He is the answer to a life of sin. There are a lot of people in our world today, they live in despair. And they, they look at the way they're living and they think about some of the things that they've done, some of the things that they've said, places they've been. And they have the idea that there's just no way that God could ever redeem them, that they are beyond any hope of salvation. But what God says in Scripture is I have an answer. Whatever your need, spiritually speaking, I have the remedy, I have the answer. And that answer is Jesus. Let's begin by, first of all, talking about the profile for sin. And what John does, he gives us a description of sin. And so as we think about this description of sin, there are a lot of things that we could, we could say about 
about sin and the problems that come about because of a life of sin. But first, think with me for just a moment or two about the scope of sin. In verse 4, John said, whoever commits sin. In other words, whether that person be black or white, rich or poor, educated or uneducated. I mean, the list could go on and on. But the idea is sin knows no boundaries. The Bible tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, there are a lot of people in our world today, they have the mistaken notion that we are born as a sinner. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that we are born in sin. We are born into a world of sin. But we're not born sinners. Ezekiel talks about how the son doesn't bear the iniquity of his father. Sin is described by John as a transgression of the law. If you wanted to define sin, listen to what John said. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness, or the breaking of the law. And the idea is, here is God's standard. And God is the one that sets the standard. When men or women break that standard, then they are in violation of the law of God. And thus, the result, sin. Now going back to Romans chapter 3, Paul said, there is none righteous, no, not one. He would say in verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short or come short of the glory of God. You see, we all have a problem. That problem is defined as sin. And so in looking at 1 John, what John is saying is you may have a problem with sin. In all possibility, in all probability, you do have a problem with sin. But Jesus is the answer to that problem. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see. And that is the destructiveness of sin. What are the consequences of living in sin? Now we talk about some of the problems that, that emanate from a life of sin, but when you look at it from a biblical perspective, there are a broad range of problems that the human family faces because of sin. Now John said, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness or iniquity. And so, what about some of the consequences that we as members of the human family face because of sin? Let me just cite for you some of the things that, that result or that have resulted from sin. First of all, let's look at it from a national perspective. Nationally, any number of nations or kingdoms have come and gone because of one reason, because of sin. Because they have become corrupt, ungodly, if you please. For example, in the book of Daniel, Daniel in chapter 2, said on behalf of God that he removes kings and he sets up kings. Look at all of the nations or kingdoms that have come and gone down through the years. 
Now we can go back and look at the Old Testament. And we see some of the mighty empires that have, that have risen and then fallen. Think about Egypt. Or what about, what about the Assyrian Empire? The Assyrians were a very powerful nation of people. And then the Bible speaks of the Babylonians. The Babylonian Empire welded great power many, many years ago. And then Babylon ultimately fell to the Medes and the Persians. The Medo-Persian Empire later gave way to the Grecian Empire. And then the Grecian Empire fell to the Roman Empire. So you look back in history and you can see kingdoms that have been strong and mighty and powerful. And then over time, what happened? They fell. Now, we talk about nations today and we think about living in our country the United States, and how blessed we are. But Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. You see, when, when nations fall or when nations have problems, it begins really with the family. Because ultimately, as the family goes, so goes the nation. So when families have problems, and families begin to deteriorate, what happens? That leads to the deterioration of neighborhoods. That leads to the deterioration of cities. And then nations, and so on and so on. So from the vantage point of sin and how it operates and how it is destructive, destroys nations. It is a nation killer. It's always been that way. Let me give you a second thing from an individual perspective. Now we talk about how sin affects nations and that's a broad look, a broad spectrum. But what about from a personal vantage point? How does sin affect my life? How does it affect your life? When we talk about individuals from a biblical perspective, how does sin, how does sin operate? What are the destructive consequences associated with sin? Let me just cite for you some of the things that sin has done to the human family. First of all, is it not the case that we suffer physically because of sin? Now, if you go back to the Garden of Eden and you look at Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, you'll find that God set forth a command to the first couple. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Chapter 3 tells us that Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation in the garden and were thereby driven out by God. What about the problems that affected the human family because of that, because of that tragic mistake in the garden? Physically speaking, the pain, sickness, Illness, disease, trial and tribulation that has been present in the human family goes back, to one, goes back to one source, and that's the garden. When you want to talk about the physical problems that we face in this world, it all goes back to Eden. It goes back to sin. 
I mean, we talk about, we talk about the problems associated with living here on planet Earth. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Look at the heartache and the sorrow and the trials and the tribulations and the diseases and the illnesses that have confronted the human family. If anything, those problems have only escalated in time. Why? Because of sin. Now, how many times have you heard somebody talk about a friend or a family member that's been sick? They've been diagnosed with, a, with some type of illness or disease. And let's say that disease is something that from a human vantage point we have no cure for. And so, physically speaking, they, that is, that family member is deteriorating or that friend is deteriorating. Their physical condition is worsening. And sometimes they will, they will ask the question, why did God allow this to happen? Or they'll hold God responsible for that. Listen, if you want to hold somebody responsible, don't hold God responsible. If you want to know who the culprit is, go back to the Garden of Eden and look at the devil. The devil is the, is the one that has wrecked havoc on the human family. One of the byproducts of the transgression that took place in the Garden of Eden, human suffering. And we have seen it all down through the years. That is a problem that affects us because of what the devil did in the Garden of Eden. When you look at Scripture, you have to understand, look, the devil is not your ally. He's your adversary. The devil has been an adversary of man. He's been at work striving to the best of his ability to destroy the crown of God's creation. So I believe he takes great delight in the consequences of sin and how sin affects us physically speaking. Now, let me give you another problem. That is mentally. Did you know that there are a lot of people that suffer mental anguish because of sin? Listen, if you would, to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 57, in verse 20, Isaiah said, The wicked are like the troubled sea, whose waters cannot rest. He said, Whose waters cast up mire and dirt. In verse 21, he said, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Did you know that there are a lot of people in our world today that from a mental perspective are walking around, around with guilt, their life is filled with anxiety, they, they feel the burden of a life of sin, and sadly many times they have no idea how to rid themselves of that guilt. Look at the number of people in our world that use as a sedative to to answer the mental problems of sin. They use as a sedative a bottle of alcohol or some type of pill or some type of chemical substance. I promise you there are a lot of people in our world today, they are self-medicating. The problem is they don't have any peace. They don't have any joy. And the reason is because of sin. They may not necessarily understand that. They may not have connected all the dots. But that's the real problem. 
That is the root of the problem. And Isaiah in the long ago is simply saying, look, if you live in sin, you're not gonna have any peace. You're not gonna have any joy. You're not gonna have freedom from guilt. Now there's another problem that we face because of sin. We talk about how it affects us physically and then how it affects us mentally. But what about spiritually? Spiritually speaking, sin, become, sin stands between us and God. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 59, verses one and two, that sin separates us from Almighty God. Look, there are a lot of things we can do without in this world. We don't necessarily have to have the biggest house on the block. We don't have to drive the finest automobile. We don't have to wear the best clothes. We don't have to have a lot of things in this life. But we can't afford to be without God. I mean, when we talk about being without God and what sin does to us, spiritually speaking, what, what, what the Bible says is that if you are without God in your life, you're without any kind of hope. Paul said in Ephesians 2 verse 12 that we live without hope and without God in this world. I can't imagine living without God. This past week, I had the opportunity to conduct the funeral service for Robert Bowling. And I made the statement based on Revelation chapter 14 verse 13 that there are only two ways to die. You can die in the Lord or out of the Lord. If you die in the Lord, John said you are at rest. If you die outside the Lord, you are in trouble. And so from a spiritual, spiritual perspective, a life without the Lord is going to come back to haunt you. Then what about eternally? What are the eternal consequences of sin? Well, in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, the Bible says, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. Now, I said just a minute ago that we're not born into the world as a sinner. You see, Ezekiel said, the soul that sins. That is, those who commit transgression, those who live in violation of the law of God. They do what? They commit sin. Now, the soul that sins, it will die. That is, that person is going to be spiritually severed from the presence of Almighty God forever and ever. Paul said in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. And so, destructively, sin has cost the human family greatly. But let me, let me, let me just throw out to you in the second place. The answer to sin. Here's how God has dealt with the problem of sin. And so we think about deliverance through salvation. We've talked just a, just a moment ago about the profile of sin, but what about the profile of salvation? And what about, what about deliverance from sin? How has God addressed 
this problem of sin? Well, let's go back to our text. In chapter three, verse five, listen if you would to what John said, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. There are a lot of things that we could say about this, but let me just talk to you for a minute or two about the manifestation of Jesus. As we think about the manifestation of Jesus and the fact that that he is God's answer to the problem of sin, let's just talk for a minute or two about his person, the person Jesus. You see, in order for God to address the problem of sin, it cost him his only begotten son. John talks at length about Jesus. He said, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. There were some people in the first century that denied the incarnate Christ, that is, the bodily presence of Jesus on earth. And so in 1 John chapter 1, John said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which our eyes have looked upon, concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. What John was saying is Jesus came in bodily form. He came to do what? Well, John said, he came to take away our sins. So we talk about the person, Jesus. When you look at Jesus and you talk about some of the the births that have taken place on our earth, on our planet, there have been a lot of great men and women that have been born. There have been a lot of people that have been born into this world that have made tremendous contributions to the human family. Let me ask you this question. Who do you know Who do you know that has made a greater impact on the human family than Jesus? I don't know of anybody. Everyone pales in comparison to Jesus, the Son of God. Now, we talk about the person, Jesus. Let me cite for you very quickly the purity of Jesus. The Bible says he came to take away our sins and in him there is no sin. Back in verse 3, he said, Everyone who has has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the earth. Jesus Christ was a sinless being. The Bible says, Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became our substitution for sin. Now we look at our lives and we see lives that have been wrecked and scarred and marred by sin and unrighteousness. And we understand that we strive to the best of our ability to live right, do right, act right, but we fall short, don't we? Look at Jesus. Jesus never sinned. So we talk about the person Jesus and then the purity of Jesus But what about his purpose? Listen again to John. You know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Jesus is the answer to sin. He came 
for the very reason to take away sin. Jesus vicariously suffered and died for us. That is, he became our substitute. We should have gone to Calvary. We should have died for sin. But Jesus took our place. Now, we talk about the purpose for Jesus coming to this earth. Drop down and look at verse 8. I said just a minute ago that the devil is not our ally. He is our adversary. John said, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He destroyed him, according to Hebrews 2.14, he destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God in the long ago talked about the promised Messiah. And he said that the Messiah would have his heel bruised. That occurred on Calvary. But he said his head will be bruised, and he's talking there about the devil. And all he's saying is that when Jesus went to the cross, suffered, bled, died, and ultimately was resurrected from the grave, he would deliver the devil a death blow from which he would never recover. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now listen to John in 1 John chapter, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. He said, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's the purpose of Jesus coming to the earth, to destroy the works of the devil and to save us from sin. Very quickly, what about the pardon that we enjoy through Jesus? When it's all said and done, I mean, if you want to get to the conclusion of the whole matter, Jesus is the answer to sin. He's the one that has, he, he is the one who has the ability to save us, to pardon us, to redeem us. Now, let me ask this question. What is it that saves me from sin? The blood of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood, so that I might be redeemed, so that I might enjoy a relationship with God the Father. You see, sin came between us and God. It literally drove a wedge between us and the human family. But Jesus bridged that gap. There was separation or alienation because of sin, and Jesus brought about reconciliation, redemption. Now, let me talk to you just very briefly about the destiny of the saved. We talk about the person, Jesus, his purity. We talk about his purpose, the fact that he came to live and die for us. We stress the pardon that we can enjoy through him. But what about our destiny as the people of God? What do I have to look forward to? Back up, if you would, and look at verse 28 in chapter 2. John said, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Please listen very carefully. When we obeyed the gospel, 
When we came to Jesus in faith, repentance, confessing his name, and were baptized into Christ, we were added to the body of Christ. And John said, as long as we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Jesus is constantly working in our lives. And so as long as we walk in the light or walk in harmony with his will, as long as we abide in him, we have the assurance that when he comes, heaven is our home. That's a promise. Now I want you to see something very quickly. Look at verse two, if you would, in chapter three. John said, beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Two things very quickly. Number one, when Jesus comes, we're going to be in his presence. We're gonna have a glorified body. Paul describes it as incorruptible, immortal. We're gonna be like him. And secondly, we're going to see him as he is. Have you ever thought about being face to face with Jesus? We talk about Jesus. We read about Jesus. But one day, we're going to be in his presence. One day, we're going to stand face to face with the Son of God. We're going to see him as he is. And I would hope and pray that when we stand face to face with Jesus, that we hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me close by asking you this question. Do you have a problem with sin in your life? If you have a problem with sin in your life, listen, Jesus is the answer. He is the only answer. He was the answer in the first century, he is the answer in the 21st century. What do you need to do to become a child of God to enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Christ? Well, first you need to believe Jesus to be the Son of God, that he is who he claimed to be, the great I am. Then you need to be willing to repent, to turn from life of sin, confess his name before others, and be baptized into Jesus Christ. When you do that, you will enjoy, as Peter said in Acts 2.38, the remission or forgiveness of your sins. God will add you to the church, which is the body of the redeemed, Ephesians 5.23. And if you live faithfully, the promise is the crown of life. Maybe you're here, maybe your life's not what it ought to be. And maybe you need to make some changes. Could I encourage you to do that today? Look, we've got the answer. We've got the remedy for sin. There's no reason why anybody should have a problem because Jesus is the answer. And so if you're here today and you need to make some changes in your life, we would appeal to you, come. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.